And that is the message this morning in Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, if you'll turn there. And uh, we'll stand together and we'll read our passage. And as we do so, we'll dismiss our children to our children's ministry. Luke chapter number 18. We're continuing on our journey of experiencing God now. The so much more that God has in store now. And one of the ways in which we can experience that is by learning more this pilgrimage and concept of praying. One of the things Jesus is telling his disciples here is that you're either going to pray or you're going to give up. And there are many who are failing to experience what God has right now because they've given up. But instead of giving up, Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see that they ought to look up. When we look up to Jesus, we are motivated, we are enabled, we're helped to not give up. And when we don't give up, that's when you're able to experience the so much more that God has in store right now. Luke 18 verse 1, Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought, to, ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. I want to preach this morning on the importance of persevering in prayer so that you can experience what God has in store for you right now. Thank you. Please be seated. Jesus explains this parable, tells this parable. It's about an unjust judge. And he's teaching on persistence in prayer that his disciples should always pray because if they don't, they're going to faint. Somewhere they're going to get weary. Somewhere they're going to give up. In verse 2 through 5, he gives the parable itself. He talks about a widow who continues to go before an unjust judge to plead her case. And the Bible says that While she's continuing to go before the unjust judge, he continually refuses to hear her case. Then verses 6 through 8, Jesus interprets the parable. He points out that if the unjust judge would give justice, just how much more would God, the just judge, see to it that he intervenes on your behalf, the behalf of his elect, his children, Quickly, And Jesus asked a question in verse 8. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? He's not asking the question because he needs an answer, because he's not sure of the answer. 
He's asking the question because he's challenging his disciples to persevere in faithfulness in prayer. And he's trying to encourage his disciples to keep on praying. Now, this is a parable of contrast. Jesus is contrasting. He's contrasting the Father with this judge. He's contrasting the children of God with this widow. And to help us understand what's taking place here in this parable, it would help us to understand what the disciples knew. This is the Eastern setting. This is the time of Jesus. And the courtroom was not a fine building, but rather it was a tent that was moved from place to place. And and it had kind of a, a circuit judge that would move around in this covered tent. The judge was the sole person who determined what would happen, not the law. The the judge set the agenda. And he sat regularly there in the tent, and he was surrounded by his assistants. And not anybody could just see the judge, only those that were allowed. And so many times there were bribes that were taking place. So you can imagine the difficulty of just the, this setting and this culture of this kind of a courtroom scenario. But not only that, but Jesus describes this judge to be an ungodly man. He didn't fear God and he had no regard for man. So this is a bad situation. But the widow, he begins to describe, and, and just the fact that she's a widow, it said quite a bit. This widow had some obstacles to overcome. First, she's a woman. And be in the Palestinian society of our Lord's day, women did not go to court. They didn't have great standing in the society to be able to fight their case. Since she was a widow, she had no husband to stand with her in court. And finally, she's poor and she could not bribe if she wanted to. Now, with that being understood, it kind of gives us a better understanding. And Jesus, again, is giving a message to his disciples. Verse 1 is the message. He says that men ought to always pray and not faint. If we don't pray, we will faint. It's as simple as that. The word faint describes a believer who loses heart, who gets discouraged. To the extent that perhaps he or she wants to quit. Becoming faint-hearted typically was the, is a result of a trial or difficulty. Isaiah 40 verse 29, He, God, giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increaseth the strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man, that's experiencing God, is renewed day by day. Paul says in Ephesians 3 and verse 13, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not. 
Galatians 6 and verse 9, let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 13, but ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Have you ever fainted? Have you ever known someone to faint? Sometimes they'll describe the notion that they recognize something is happening, but they're unable to stop that course of, of blacking out and passing out. And that's the connection that Jesus is making here. It's like uh, this, this idea of we're losing oxygen or the, the breath that we're breathing in the environment, maybe because of a trial or difficulty, has become toxic or become difficult. And the contrast is, but yet when we pray and understand what that means, we experience God and there's a refreshing in the oxygen and the air in which Jesus manifests himself. We need to pray. Prayer should be as natural as our regular breathing. That's what I believe Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 17 when he says pray without ceasing. We don't often think about breathing. We're not thinking of taking a breath in and exhaling except perhaps whenever you find yourself struggling to breathe, then you're thinking about it. But prayer should be something that is happening regularly. It should be something that when there is a trial that is squeezing us, that we are reminded of the importance to be able to breathe the breath of God and experience His, His presence. Pray without ceasing. So you take your choice this morning. Do you want to learn to pray and pray or do you want to go on fainting? Paul reminds us in Galatians 6, you faint, you're going to miss some of the things that God has in store. Now I imagine these disciples got some humor out of this story seeing a powerless widow who was able to actually overcome a very prestigious and powerful judge. But again, the whole point is that Jesus is speaking this parable so that we should pray so that we wouldn't faint. We should not give up. That's what was sung there when Luigi sang that about prayer. Instead of giving up, we ought to look up, just keep on praying. We should never despair. We, we should depend instead on prayer. That is what Jesus is saying in this passage. And this is a parable again of contrast. Our Lord is not like this unjust judge. Here is a widow. And the word widow in the Greek it simply is the word for forsaken. This is a forsaken woman. She's a forsaken woman in that she's a widow. In those days, literally, she's forsaken. No husband to take care of her. She has no rights. She had no welfare system. She literally had nothing. She's empty. She's forsaken. And there are many times in our lives, and maybe someone here this morning, you feel forsaken. You feel empty and powerless, no resources. You feel your strength is inadequate for what you face. And we have 
many things and many problems and many times in our life where it seems that we just can't seem to get a break or find the right avenue. And so comes this forsaken, powerless, empty woman to a very powerful judge who feared not God, who regarded not man. He was not a man of faith. He was not a man who had a heart for God. He had no sympathy for people. He just didn't care. He's hard-boiled. He's unsympathetic. He's callous. And he's seen so many cases. He's seen people try to, to, to lie and skirt the system, bribing him and he would take advantage of that and yet his heart is very very hard and yet this widow comes before him and she says avenge me of mine adversary I'm without protection I have no hope I'm without power I'm without strength my only hope is you and so you have in verse 4 and 5 actually a battle of the wills between a powerless widow and a powerful judge. And what happens? She becomes a nuisance. She continues to badger him. He ignores her, but in spite of that fact, she comes again and again and again. What is she doing? She's praying without ceasing. He ignores her, but she comes back again. And finally, he decides, I think I'll do better. I will have greater peace in my life and more tranquility if I just give her what she's asking for so I can be done with her. He said she's so aggressive. She's so determined. She's going to continue to make this case until I have a black eye with the community or until she physically gives me a black eye because she's pretty determined. She's not giving up. No, she wasn't. She's not going away. And no, she wasn't. He says, I'm never going to have peace or quiet. Again, what is God doing in this passage to his disciples? He's trying to contrast. Is God saying in order for us to get an answer from God, that we're going to have to badger God continually? We're going to have to try to persuade God, bribe God, because he's so reluctant. Not at all. In fact, what Jesus is saying again is, if an unjust man who's not fearing of God, not regarding of man, he would give a widow who has, is helpless. And if this man who is hard-hearted and unsympathetic as a judge will answer the persistent cry of a powerless woman, shall not God avenge his own elect which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. Amen. The message is you don't have to wear God down. You don't have to beg God. You don't have to overcome his reluctance. The message is that God wants to answer your prayer more than you want to even pray. God is eager to answer your prayer. God loves to answer your prayer. You say, you mean ours as a whole. I mean yours as an individual. He is not like an unjust judge. He's not like a judge with a hard heart. He's God who so loved the world and so loves you. He's a sympathetic God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. He's eager right now to step into your life. So the question should come to your mind, 
or at least it has to mine, and is what I think Jesus was prompting in the minds of his disciples. So why does he say pray without ceasing? Why is he trying to get us to be persistent in prayer instead of fainting? Why is it that we should not give up, but rather we should look up? That is a good question. Why should you continue to pray for something when you've been praying for it for such a long time and God still hasn't answered it? Why does God teach us that God is so eager to answer our prayer, yet He teaches us that we need to keep on praying? When it seems the answer doesn't come, why is it that we should not give up? Why is it that we don't need to despair, but really... Rely on prayer. Why keep on praying when the answer isn't there? Well, if we don't discover the secret to this, there will come a time you're going to give up. You're going to faint. And you're going to miss what God has in store. So I want you to see four reasons this morning, I believe, that the Lord is teaching His disciples to pray persistently. Number one. Persistent praying, it will help you, help me, maintain a right focus on God. It helps us maintain a right focus on God. See, this parable is not about God being reluctant to answer our prayers. God is saying He wants us, however, to remember that He is our source. He wants us to remember where the answer does come from. If God answered all of your prayers just like that, then the truth is you're not going to be as serious and focused on God. Amen. Remember when God called Abraham? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that Abraham was a man of faith. And the Bible tells us in Genesis that God called Abraham and said, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. And the Bible says that Abraham responded and he got up and he went out. But he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how he was getting there. God didn't give him turn-by-turn -turn directions. God didn't even give him a destination. Had God given Abraham the destination, perhaps Abraham would have done, would have been like we would have done or been. And that is, that's what I need, God. I need to know where I'm going. And then we take it from there. See, we have in our minds, well, I got saved. Now I just need to hold on until Jesus comes. And so therefore, many have the notion, well, God, I've got it from here. I think I can maintain. I, I try not to kill anybody. And, and I you know, try not to honk the horn too many times to, to, to disrupt traffic and run people over. I, I, I try to be good and tithe and, 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 and just be a good Christian. Well, you know, if you're a human being, you ought to be a good citizen. If you're a child of God, you ought to strive to be a good Christian. But there's more to it than just knowing your destination. Well, I got saved and therefore I'm heading to heaven and, um, and then God takes care of the rest. 
No, like Abraham, God wants you to rely upon him. God didn't give him turn-by-turn directions. God didn't say, I want you to wind up here. Why? Because he wanted Abraham to maintain a right focus on God and understand that God is my destination. Experience him, experiencing God is what he has in mind. Not just yesterday, not just Sunday, but each and every day. Philippians 4, 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The psalmist said, and we have it on the church sign, Psalm 105, verse 4, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. I want you to see a second reason why God wants us to persist in praying because you either pray You'll either live in reality of dependence upon God or you're going to faint. But a second reason is because it clarifies my request. It helps me understand what I'm really asking for. Not only does it help me maintain my focus upon God, but it really helps me understand what I'm asking for. I think sometimes if we were able to map out our Christian life, the very things we've complained about, the very things that God's people have quit over, have backed off because of, have slacked off because of, might actually be the very things that they prayed for. But because they weren't clear in their request, they were just too general. God answered in a general way. For example, God, would you bless us? Let me ask you a question. Did God bless Job? Yeah, we we find if you ever read the rest of the book, you'll find God blessed him more than he experienced blessing in the beginning of the book. How did God do it? Putting him through the fire. Long, hard agonizing. Why? Because God wanted to bless him more than he could possibly imagine. You say, God bless me, and you don't get specific? God's blessing might look like a a tidal wave, a tsunami, a tornado in your life. And yet some of God's people have complained, gotten bitter, and dropped out because look at what God did. And God says, you asked me to bless you, that's what I'm doing. You just wanted a microwave blessing, but I'm giving you the, the, the crock pot version. It's going to be good. Most of our prayers are just too general. I think a lot of times we pray in such a way that if God did answer the prayer, we wouldn't know it. Because we just ask in generality. You know, when you're persistently praying and asking the same thing, it causes us to clarify what are we really praying for? We never clarify what is exactly what we're asking. God, would you bless my children? And God does. How does he do it often? By stretching them, by developing them, by burning away the dross that's in their life. What was it that that we find is probably the greatest hindrance to knowing God, experiencing revival? 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people which are called by my name would humble themselves. What did Jesus say to his disciples? If you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. 
And we say, God bless our children. And God says, I'm on it more than you know. Because what I'm trying to deal with is their self. The deception of the heart of man. Blessings come in the form of a burden. Are you asking God for a burden? You say, Lord, bless me, but blessings come many times by way of a burden. You may be asking God for problems when you say, God, bless me. So I would suggest you get specific. You know what this will do for some? It'll cause them to say, I'm just not going to pray at all. So let me tell you what will happen. You're going to faint. You will faint. You will pass out. You will give up. And you will miss out. It's going to cause some people to say, well, maybe I need to be careful about what I ask for. That's a good idea. Have you ever pulled up to the drive-thru of McDonald's or Wendy's and just bless me. You try it. You try it and you give a testimony this evening. We'll let you do it. I'd like to see how it goes. I don't know. I don't know the intelligence factor on either side of the equation there in doing that. But maybe the greatest blessing they tell you is what restaurant you could go to. (laughs) We want to be specific. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with analyzing your situation and, and, and saying, God, here's what I think. Nevertheless, thy will be done. You see, this matter of clarifying your request is not because if you get it wrong, God is going to make you suffer the rest of your life because you, you got your, your three wishes wrong. No, what it's saying is, By us not being clear in what we're asking, we're really not engaged in talking to God. We're just saying, Lord, forgive us of our many sins, bless us, thank you for this food. I mean, we've been there. I I told you before, and I closed in prayer at the dinner table and and closed with bye-bye. It just was my... I had one too many phone calls that day and just closed with, and my kids don't let me forget about it. <laughs> or they'll remind me, you just prayed, but you didn't ask God to bless the food. And, and uh, it just, we, we can sometimes, our brain can be put in neutral. You don't like it when your spouse is disengaged that way. You don't like it when your children are not engaged with you. And God is saying, What do you really want? Is your heart in this with me? He's seeing how long you're willing to wait for that which you've asked because God's at work. God is wanting to work. God is doing a work. But just remember that God's timing, as I said the other day, God's more concerned about timing than he is time. And we get so focused on it's got to happen now. There's no other way. But remember the one who transcends time is more concerned about timing. 
Zechariah 13, verse 9, the prophet said, And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. Listen, God may be testing you. God may be putting you through the fire of waiting for that prayer to be answered because he wants you to clarify exactly what you want from him. And what, what happens is time separates what is really a deep longing and a desire. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires, not the whims. And that persistence in prayer, that, that time, it, it, it separates the whim from the desire. You see, God's delays are not God's denials. God has a waiting room just like hospitals do. And we would go down to a hospital waiting room and we visited those a little bit more as a result of COVID and, and people having to wait in, in waiting rooms and you wait there for the doctor to come out. You're waiting for the answer to come. And you must understand that God has his waiting room. God's waiting room is not a wasting room and he'll put his people in a waiting room and he puts his church in a waiting room. He puts his, his children in a waiting room and God doesn't send the answer immediately because he's still testing the medical doctor's running test but God is testing why because he really wants you to know is your heart in this as much as his heart is in it for you and give you a third thought why he wants us to persevere in prayer and it's because number three it prepares me for the answer it prepares me for the answer I want to give you a secret today. God wants to do more than you're asking. I am absolutely sure of that. He's not like an unjust judge. You don't have to beg him, convince him to overcome his reluctance. You don't have to wake him up and you don't have to, to push on him. Whatever you ask God for, I promise you he wants to do more. And you'll never learn that until you learn to pray with persistence. And don't give up. Look up. What is the thing in your life today that you're giving up on? Is it your marriage? Giving up on praying for a family member who's wandered far from God? It may be something involved with your work, your vocation. It may be your dream that God has put upon your heart. It may be your service to the Lord. You've just gotten discouraged. You've gotten weary. You've fainted. You're ready to give up. It may be that you're ready to give up in the area of tithing, of stewardship, of service. You're, 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 you're just tired of waiting because it doesn't seem like anything's changing. Think about Jesus is telling us this story of this woman. She's in the worst case scenario. She's facing a judge who has to be bribed, who doesn't care, who doesn't fear God. He sets his own rules and yet he came around to give her what she longed for. And yet you have a father who loves you, who cares. And he's longing to step into your life. He just wants you to keep your focus on him. He wants you to see that he's waiting to prepare you for the answer. God wants to do something greater than you're asking. He wants to use you in a greater way than you've ever imagined. 
He wants to use you in a powerful way. There's a miracle working God in this house this morning. There's a miracle working God who wants to meet with you in your house. God wants to work in your heart and in your home. And the overflow would be seen right here in this church. We say prayer changes things and that's true. But you also have heard and you know it to be true. Prayer changes us. And God is more interested in you than he is in your circumstances. God wants to conform you to the image of Jesus. And before God can do that great thing in your life, God has to get you ready. You say, well, I'm ready. Oh, you're just ready for God to get you ready. You might be ready for today. That's the best place to be to be ready for tomorrow. It is not a matter of us waiting on God, by the way. God's waiting on you. Let me suggest this. Don't keep him waiting. I believe that one of the reasons God's not done all that I've asked him to do in my life and this church is because God's getting us ready for something greater. I believe that with all my heart and soul, I do. I've said many times before, if you don't have a vision of what God can do in your life that is far greater than what can humanly be done in your life, you're dreaming too small. You're thinking too small. God is greater than that. Remember God said if you just have faith as a size of a little grain of mustard seed, you can look to this mountain, say to this mountain, be removed and hence be cast into the sea. God says, there's nothing that's too hard for me. There's no limitation that I have. Are you prepared to serve him? Are you prepared to love him? Are you prepared to witness for him? The Bible says that just because it hasn't happened, there's no reason for you to give up. Don't give up. Look up. Look up. If not, you're going to lose heart. You're going to faint. You'll, you'll be tempted to throw in the towel. Let me give you a fourth reason. We ought to persevere in faith, in prayer rather, because persevering in prayer, it strengthens my faith. It strengthens my faith. Why is that so important? Because you really can't wait on God pray without being engaged with faith. Prayer and faith, they go together. You can't separate them. If it's real faith, there's going to be prayer. If it's real prayer, there's going to be faith. And what does God say about faith in Hebrews 11 and verse 6? Without it, you can't please God. You just, he's not impressed with what we do. You didn't get saved by what you do. You're saved because of the one you depended upon. And in our Christian life, we might be saved dis, um, dis believing, disappointed in what's happening. And because of that, we are displeasing God. Because we don't believe. We believed him to take the gift of salvation, but we don't believe him to take the gift of his presence and his power to face the trial and the circumstance in our life. Remember again, Abraham's journey of faith was just to stay close to the Lord, walk with the Lord, watch the Lord's eye, listen for His voice, experience God. It's not that God doesn't love you. 
It's not that God doesn't want to answer. It's not that God can't do it. It's not that God won't do it. It's that God has us in a process of learning to wait on him. Why? So we can experience God. Galatians 6, 9, again, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Many years ago I was going to a revival meeting in Casper, Wyoming. I remember taking a couple books with me and I was going by myself I think it may have been about the time Priscilla was born and Christy wasn't able to fly with me. And and so I flew out there. And one of the books I had was Reese Howe's Intercessor, written by Norman Grubb. Reese Howe's was called of God to go to Africa. And he tells in this book, um, Norman Grubb tells of Reese Howe's, just how he learned to become an intercessor, how he learned to persistently pray, pray without ceasing, not faint. And one of these stories just captivated me. Reese had no money. He was living in London, England. And God said to him, Reese, do you believe that I've called you? And Reese said, yes. And God said to him, Reese, what would you do if you had money? Reese said, I'd go down to the railroad station, I'd buy a ticket, and I'd start for Africa. And so God said, if you really believe me, then you do that. So Reese Howes and his wife, the next Sunday, they went to their church and they announced that God had sent them to Africa and they're leaving for Africa. But this they made sure of. They did not mention anything about their limited resources. The truth was that after they sold everything they had, they only had enough money to go from England, London, just 50 miles down the track. So what did they do? They bought the ticket and they went 50 miles on that train and then they got off the train. They're sitting there at the station with all their luggage, all their possessions on their way to Africa, and they have no more money. And the Lord spoke to Reese Howes and said, Who is your source? Reese said, You are, Lord. And Reese Howes said, It was as though the Lord was speaking very clearly to him. Reese, if you had money, what would you do with it right now? And he said, Lord, if I had the money, I'd be standing over there in that line getting a ticket to get to Africa. And the Lord spoke to his heart and said, well, go stand in that line. Reese Howe said there were 18 people in that line. True story. He went over and stood in the line, but he said he felt ridiculous. He says, I had no money, no money in my pockets. But I stood there in that line and the line was getting smaller and smaller And he was beginning to think through how embarrassing it would be when he gets to the ticket counter and he says, I need to buy a ticket to Africa to get me to the next stage to get to Africa, but I have no money at all. Finally, he gets down. There were two people in front of him, a man and his wife ahead of him in line. And he was standing there before the ticket window and And Reese is standing behind him thinking through what he's about to do. 
And all of a sudden, those two people who got to the ticket window in front of him, the man said to his wife, you know, I've changed my mind. I don't want to go. And he turned around and he gave all of his money to Reese Howes. And he said, here you go. Reese Howes took that money without knowing all that he was given. And he bought his tickets to get him all the way to Africa. Let me say, some of you are not even in line. Some of you have given up, you fainted. Some of you men, you say you love your family, but you haven't been to a men's prayer meeting in quite some time. Let me ask you, what kind of example are you telling your young men? You want them to keep themselves clean and pure and learn to trust God, but you can't get out of bed in time? And Jesus is saying, but there is a widow woman who has more confidence that God's going to intervene with a judge who there is no way in this world he's ever going to turn towards her. And yet you have a loving father in heaven who longs to meet with you. And when the brethren show up, where are you? You've not even gotten in line. Some of you have been in line for some time and you're sitting there thinking, I don't mind standing in line. I just don't want to get down to having to explain that God is wanting to do something incredibly big and powerful. But I don't have the resources to get it done. Why is that so bad? Let me ask you, how did you get saved? Did you say, Lord, I wanted to tell you what, what I can do for you. No, no one gets saved until you see how bankrupt you are and until you see how rich the Lord Jesus Christ truly is. Jeremiah 29, 13, Ye shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Luke 11 and verse 9, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be open unto you. And in the tense, and anybody who knows that passage understands in the Greek language that Jesus is saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And the Lord says, I'm going to open the door. I'm going to answer and I'm going to give. You have to keep seeking. You have to keep asking. You have to keep on knocking. Well, I got knocked down. You get back up and you knock on the door of heaven. Well, I got dismissed. You get back up and you look at the one who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I feel slighted. Then you get up and you spend time with the one who says, I, 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 you can cast all your care upon him because I care for you. Understand that God wants to do a work in your life. Understand he's stretching your faith. Your faith is like a muscle. You don't get stronger by lifting less. You don't get stronger by doing less. And you don't get stronger for the Lord without Him recognizing you know how to trust God with this. So let me put this in your life. And how do you trust Him? The same way you did when you got saved. The same way you trusted Him over here. The same way you trusted Him here. And that's the same way you trust Him here. And you stand here and give you testimony after testimony after testimony of people who've been saved and people who would not give up. They continued to pray and God broke through. And God wants to break through for you. God wants to do more in your life. Not tomorrow, right now. And that's the way you'll be ready to meet with God tomorrow. Let's stand together, please.